Warning, the following episode of That Mental Ginger Show contains strong language and adult themes. Alright, trip. Hello and welcome to That Mental Ginger Show with your host Andrew Durning, aka The Mental Ginger. Well, my six faithful followers, I owe you an apology. My microphone was gubbed, so I, I really want to apologise to my last guest. He, he was such comedic foil and I arsed it up. But good news is, the microphone has been fixed for our next guest. And I'm very, very privileged to speak to her from what I have Facebook stalked or as they call it these days, research. Well, she <laughs> is uh, actor, director, writer, and well, a newbie to the podcasting genre, Emma mm-hmm. King-Farlow. Emma, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no, thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. I, I am, as you say, a bit of a newbie to the general world of podcasting. Um, yeah. I've uh, done one interview before with, um, on Pretend World's Real People, um, which is an American podcast, which yeah. uh, it sort of deals with the entertainment industry. Mm. But I have never conducted an interview of my own. So um, it is, it's all new to me and all extremely interesting. I'm just kind of getting started. Well, don't worry. Uh, we all start somewhere. We all learn as we go. What, and you have nothing to worry about. What You seem like such a lovely person already. And we're only one minute and 31 seconds into the conversation. <laughs> Oh, I think I'm going to like you, Andrew. I'm going to like you. (laughs) I seem to have that infectious personality. I'm kind of like the herpes of friends. Once you've got me, you're stuck with me. I mean, I I think that's generally a winning. And you'll realise that about me as well. I've got a very quirky sense of humour, especially now that I've relaxed into my podcasting host role. Excellent. So what I like to do with all my guests, Emma, is to get them to tell our audience their origin story. Because if there's one thing that we all have in common, it's an origins. So Emma, for our six faithful followers, please tell us your origin story. Um, Well, Andrew and six faithful followers. Um, up. We've been going up. I know I I had a listen and I realized it was not that long ago it was three faithful followers so clearly you know the ginger virus the ginger virus is spreading Emma what can I say I mean it's it's undeniable I feel certain that will only be a very short while before there are 12 12 and from there I've already made a bet with the listeners that if we get to 10 I'll stop counting (laughs) so the challenge has been laid down let's see what happens Anyway, enough about me. We're here. We're here to talk about Emma. We're here to find out about our lovely guest. Oh well, thank you. See, if talking about me can get you to ten followers, <laughs> woo! Um, I have every so, faith. Me too. Me too. So, uh, yes, origin story. I guess because your podcast is sort of concentrating on mental health and the arts. So yeah, we like to ha- have some like tangents along the way. Mm, yeah. It. So. Uh, because uh, for those people who may not know, and there's absolutely no reason you should, unless you have, as Andrew has, been actively stalking me recently. Yes, um, definitely. Well, my wife is aware of this, by the way. She knows that uh, that's it's research. It's fundamental. It's not me just going yeah. on like a, like a really weird, creepy guy going, mm. I'm, not, I'm not like that. 
no and and i hope that none of your followers all six of them and the extras that we're gathering today i hope that none of them would have considered that for even a second i really hope so too <laughs> um so i uh, as well as being a writer director actor and producer um i also run a mixed arts mental health awareness festival and short film prize called unbroken uh, wow. you can find us at unbrokenfest.com so how did that um, come about so that uh we started that in 2016 but previously i had um i'd been doing some work with combat stress the mm. um the armed forces uh mental health charity um i kind of started by doing some sort of uh remembrance shows uh, putting together other people's work you know some famous first world war poetry and then letters from the front and things like that and i'd done a couple of those and they'd kind of become more involved um each year and i got to the stage where i sort of thought actually probably ready to sort of delve a bit deeper and so in um in 2013 actually uh which is obviously uh, the afghan war was still going and our troops were over there mm -hmm. i um researched wrote and directed uh, a full-length play called dreams from the pit and it was about afghan war veterans and yeah. um i did my stalking i also saw the uh, the poster very well designed Oh, say. thank you. I, I can't take credit for that. Mm. It was it was professionally designed and they did do a beautiful job. Mm. Um, uh, our actors starred on the poster. Um, and and yeah, I think it, it kind of it conveyed the mood. But um, we we worked with a number of um, both serving and ex-military and um, spoke to some of the padres and uh, counsellors and family members and things. So it was, mm -hmm. it was very much from the mouths of the people kind of living those experiences. Oh. And um, we had, we had, it was one big gala performance um, at the Palace Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue, wow. Um, wow. which now is home to Harry Potter. So, you know, <laughs> it's um, a worthy successor, I think. But um, yeah, that was, that was quite an experience. Um, and it, you know, it was, I couldn't have done it without the, the incredible amount of help we had from um, particularly the Grenadier Guards, um, uh, Matthew Elmer. Matt, he's their um, regimental casualty officer. And he was kind of a, a major support for me then and um, introduced me to other people, um, got us uniforms to use as costume and um, just answered all the questions I had. I had... I did have other friends who were already in the military or had been, um, but but Matt was the most the most help, and we're still friends today. Um, and um, we also went down to Wellington Barracks, and um, the Scots Guards put the actors through their paces. Mm. Some of the Grenadiers came along and. Um, to our rehearsals and ran us through kind of the application of tourniquets and things like that and it was just um you know it was it was something that we all really wanted to sort of do justice to to the people who'd helped us who'd given their time and also um 
you know, to the, to the people we were writing these stories about, um, telling the stories of. Um, and that was, that was kind of, that was the culmination of my work in, in military mental health, I think. Mm. It, was, it was kind of hard to top that, really. Um, and I think also after that, it did start becoming more of a, a sort of a topic that was discussed more generally in public. And, and it didn't seem to sort of need the same kind of the same concentration on it from other people like us when there were more general conversations going on because when the first the first one I did I think was about 2009 2010 and at that time it wasn't really discussed so much at all Um, and I think because obviously military mental health is sort of it's tied in with the uh, the issue of men's mental health but it's kind of taken that step further because there are all the you know the uh, the problems, I guess, that can come with being part of an institution and particularly an institution of that nature. Um, and I know that obviously a lot of work has been done since since then. It's hard to believe it was actually eight years ago now. And I know that a lot has changed. But I also think from the, you know, I sort of keep tabs slightly Um not anywhere near as, as much as I did them, but I do think there's still room, as there probably is in, in society in general, mm. there's still room for uh, for improvement. Um, mm. uh, so that, yes, was, was 2013. And then I was, um, I was working on some other stuff and I had some health issues of my own to deal with. Mm. And then when I came back to the issue of mental health, I thought it might be time to start looking at it in a more general way. Um, uh, you know, looking at civilian mental health as well, because I think, again, with all the kind of the sort of conversations that surrounded um, what was going on in Afghanistan and also when the troops started to leave and things, mm. it seemed like that was well in hand and I don't think um you know a random civilian like me had much to add to the conversation at the time mm. um whereas then 2016 um there still wasn't as much com- of a conversation about civilian mental health um and I think again it's it's fantastic how far it's come in just the five years since then um and and it was kind of it's a little bit dipping the toe in the water to see if you know if there if there was a place for that sort of conversation, um, particularly in in the world of theatre and um, and you know I I think because um, because you know and maybe it's a sweeping generalization so ignore me people if it annoys you but um, I think that the creative industries are particularly kind of can be breeding grounds for mental health problems partly because I think the kind of people who go into the arts are potentially more empathetic and possibly therefore or perhaps as well more sensitive and I think that's it's part of all of our 
gifts in a way I suppose because it it helps us if you're a writer it helps you create characters that people can really believe in because you can you know you can connect with with other characters um, and other people you can hear their stories absorb them and recreate them and as actors I think it's it's kind of um it's a there's there's that saying I can I can never remember who said it but it's it's the one about like walking through the world with one less layer of skin than everyone else mm-hmm. it's kind of it's that thing where that that sensitivity it can make it painful yeah. to live in the world sometimes but it also can be a wonderful gift in that it can help you connect to others and and then recreate them I suppose and so from that creative point of view I think you know the people in the creative industries are are potentially more prone to mental health issues but then also the way those industries are run contributes further to that I think the the kind of the ongoing uncertainty um particularly you know for for actors um who might sort of put their all into a string of auditions and not hear anything back from any of them or might even they might get recalls and they might get really close and think they've very nearly got it and that's their rent covered for the next sort of two months mm-hmm. or that's the job they were just dying to do and they think they've got on really well with the people and everything and then suddenly they're just cut adrift with nothing and they they hear the casting announcement on twitter or something mm-hmm. and you know i think that kind of that sort of uncertainty um and and also the kind of the feeling of rejection that goes with it Mm -hmm. i don't think those things are at all helpful for anyone's mental health no not at Um, all it is a very cutthroat business i know they say it all mm -hmm. the time in like in tv shows and that but unless it's like anything if you're unless you're going through it yourself or been and i've been through the rigors with it you can't really put into words what it's like. At least no. I don't think anyway from my past experience. No, I think that's right. And, um, and you know, I, I see lots of conversations about how casting directors or directors have so many people to get back to and stuff. And and I do completely understand that. Um, I mean, you know, we... we uh, Dreams from the Pit was the, um, the show... I've done that had the largest number of people auditioning for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so on average, I don't have to deal with anything like the numbers that, you know, that people might do if they were, you know, if they were, say, auditioning for a show with a cast of 15 or 20 or something. How many did you um, have to audition? Um, we had, I think we had just over 120 uh, women auditioning for the female roles and about 32 or something men auditioning for the male roles which is another another thing worth noting um and you know i i was writing the script so i wrote in as many female roles as i could yeah but that wasn't a time when women were serving on the front line or anything so you know the the story we were telling (laughs) there's a limit to how many people and i think that um you know, because we had 32 or something uh, men uh, for 14 roles, I think it was. Wow. So they had, you know, they, they had a fairly good chance of, um, you know, getting 
the parts they were going for. Mm. And then 120 something women for um, six roles. Yikes. And, and you know, um, I'm sure that that also, when you know how much competition is out there, that can't help either. But kind of going back to to the point about letting people know, I mean, I I run my own tiny independent theatre company, and it is our policy to always um, to always reply to people, to always let them know. When we have people auditioning, I always say to them in the auditions, you will hear from us either way. So if you don't please feel very free to prod us because it will be that the email has gone missing somewhere in the ether or whatever and we won't we won't mind that at all we would far rather um because and you know I on occasion if the number of people I'm contacting is small enough I'll call um just to let them know if it's if it's a larger number of people there's less time or whatever we'll just even just send a blanket email saying, you know, BCCing the people you're talking to and just saying, thank you very much for coming along. It's lovely to meet you. Um, unfortunately, uh, we, we didn't feel you were quite right for this role this time. But, but, you know, I think the kind of the, I think the constant feeling that you and your efforts are not appreciated mm. um, or if you don't get any sort of a reason as to why you haven't got the job, then again, I think there's a tendency to sort of circle around and blame yourself for something wrong with me. There's, it's me that's being rejected. It's not. Mm. And, you know, I was having a chat with a friend of mine the other day and she was asking me about casting and, um, and you know, what, what might influence me to make a decision one way or another. And, um, and, you know, and I was saying, actually, sometimes it's literally just who else is in that same cast, because one very talented person might be absolutely right for that role playing up against a certain group of other people, but maybe not quite right if they don't fit with the people that you've already cast or something. And in that, and in that case, it's, it's, you know, like, like everything, I guess so much of it is luck and timing as well as talent mm -hmm. and I think and I think the way all of these things work it's so easy to doubt your talent and then to doubt yourself mm -hmm. um, and I don't think any of that is is good for anyone's mental health either yeah. But you get obviously from the acting side of it about the rejection but a lot of actors don't think about the panel who've got to make the decisions and make the mm. choices and and tell people that they haven't been successful. So you had uh, 124 women auditioning for six roles. So you still have what what well over like 100 and eight, what, 118 people. My maths is pretty shit, so I'm just trying to get <laughs> to the top of my head. But into the hundreds of telling them, unfortunately, you weren't successful. And what? How, how does that affect you like, um, like mentally is it a case of like you know you do more you get used to it or is it or is it is, I, is hurt I mean that was for us that was you know a, a, a kind of a fairly unique situation and and because we were moving quite fast um I think it was just a sort of 
letting people know and then moving on with the next thing. Um, in a way, it's actually far more uh, difficult, I suppose is the right word, um, for when when you've uh, when you when you're dealing with a smaller pool of people and you've maybe had time to spend a bit more time with each of them and um and you know and especially because obviously I have I have countless friends who are actors I mean a lot of the people who I've worked with once I've worked with them once they come back and I work with them often and they become friends rather than colleagues and things mm-hmm. um and you know with those people obviously it's less of a thing because um, when I'm doing new projects of any sort of size, then I try and go for about a 50-50 sort of split, 50% people I've worked with before and 50% new people to sort of, you know, so you get some of the, the comfort of home, if you will, mm-hmm. and some of the, um, and also just hanging out with your friends at work, which is yeah. a nice thing too. Um, but also you're kind of meeting new people and expanding your circles and things. Um, but, but you know, when you are, I just, I don't know, because like obviously knowing what it would mean to someone at the other end to to sort of get that I mean it's not like we're ever offering big money or something so it's not like it's not like we are going to pay their rent but I think it's um it's you know it, it's the it's the acceptance of you and it's the validation of your talent and your skill and everything that you've put into that audition and things. And mm-hmm. so to, to get a no, you sort of know that you're obviously no matter how nicely you phrase it, um, there is a possibility not for every actor by any means because you know we're not that important and lots of people are going to be doing a million self-tapes in a week or whatever so you know you know it's not everyone but at the same time you don't know you don't know which one it is so every person you contact could be that person who's going to just this is going to be the thing that really confirms for them that they're awful or their week is awful or they're career choice is awful or whatever so there's there's that potential every time to be the person who's ruining someone else's day or week or you know whatever it is and Mm -hmm. and I think you know that um that can weigh a bit on you um which is you know it's it's not to say oh poor me I have to tell these people no or yes or whatever you know that's that's it's not how it is but it just is something that you think about and and like you said it's I think none of these things are easy perhaps when you get to be like a big casting director and you see people every day all day and things and you have secretaries if you're a big casting person you just get them to do the firing you just get them yeah. to do them no no in our day in our time hmm. yeah. yeah but then and i think in a way that's that would also i like that i actually meet the people properly mm-hmm. um you know that i'm part of the audition process because we're kind of close enough to the ground if you like (laughs) that I can be um and and you know 
I mean, I like I like people. I like actors. Um, and I think part of why I like them is, as I was sort of saying earlier, it's the the kind of the type of people most of them tend to be. Um, the kind of the slightly more sensitive, interested and engaged in the world and and in people. And, and also, again, <laughs> wild generalizations. So, <laughs> but, you know, in my experience, actors and people in the general industry are, are some of the kindest, nicest, least selfish people I've met. Mm. You obviously do stumble across the occasional exception, but mm. then <laughs> you either don't work with them or if you made a mistake and they sort of got through the audition, mm. you just don't work with them a second time. <laughs> so, you know, um, so I'm not saying the whole world is kind of all Pollyanna sunshine and roses <laughs> and things, but you know, in, in my sweeping generalization world, um, you know, I mean, the title of this uh, episode, Sweeping Generalization. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, why not? Sounds like a good one. I think it's catchy. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been told I need to start working on titles. So, well, why not? This could be the first first title. Well, let's, let's <gasps> this is where you get the next four followers from, Andrew. It's oh. the titles. It, this is yep. what's going to bring them in. <laughs> it's the generalization. Just getting them in. What you know, Your general, bring it in. Yeah. So, so let's circle back and talk about um, your your theatre company itself. What um, talk about like uh, how you set it up? Uh, put any shows that are planned for twenty twenty two? As I say to my guests recently, and it seems to be working. Sell, baby, sell. <laughs> well, yes, we are. We are in fact currently uh, getting ready for a Christmas Carol. We're doing a few performances of that um, on the 10th, 11th, 18th and 19th of December. Mm. So if anyone pops along to the website, you can find all the links to get your ticket. Please get your tickets. Um, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, and in uh, in 2022, we'll be doing a production of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um oh. Because obviously I'm not actually sure, I suddenly realised, as I encourage people to buy their tickets, I'm not actually sure when this will this interview will come out. So, <laughs> well, um... for, for anybody listening, what, uh, and the magic has been given away, uh, <gasps> it is actually uh, going, going up in January 2022. But... In which case, let me tell you just how well our production of A Christmas Carol went. <laughs> it was outstanding, people, well... you missed. At the time for recording, I am sure that it's going to be a major success. And don't worry what I will put in the description if it was a success or not. But I'm oh, pretty really? sure but I'm pretty sure it will be. It's, it's the positive thinking. So for, oh, 20, so for 2022, um, do you have any rough uh, time for when uh, your production is so, coming out? So The Voyage of the Dawn Treader will be in October. Um, and in the in the meantime, there will be... we've One of the projects I've been working on in the last couple of years is called Fireside Folk Tales. Mm. And it's um, it's essentially the retelling of various classic myths, legends, and old favorites stories um, so that they can be performed by a, a cast of four um, doing all the kind of sound effects and everything live there mm. in the space. So it's kind of a return to um, the old fireside storytelling where you didn't have lighting and sound and all of mm. that stuff um and we've uh we've got i think five plays in the repertoire one of which is in fact a christmas carol um 
and uh, the, it's, it requires quite a sizable amount of uh, doubling and extreme effort from everyone concerned. Mm. Um, I play 11 roles in A Christmas wow. Carol, but one of the other actors plays 14. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's nothing if not a challenge, but an enjoyable one. It reflects we... in those dramatic muscles right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and we've been taking those to sort of a whole variety of venues, including places like Ham House, mm. uh, uh, Christmas Carols going to Morden Hall Park. They're both um, National Trust. Uh, we were at Southside House for Halloween with Macbeth. And um, that had, I, I'd adapted that last summer, actually. It was, mm. was in that window where they suddenly announced that you could do open air theatre if you wanted mm. with like five days notice. Yeah. Um, hooray <laughs> but luckily I had already been working on the script mm. and we actually had started rehearsing on zoom because we felt like that window was coming mm. um and so we we did that last summer again with a cast of four mm. but um this Halloween we went back to Southside House which is this amazing property in in Wimbledon um and uh really the coldest I've ever been indoors but um but you know a lovely venue and sold out shows and things um but one of our actors wasn't available um and so I had to rewrite the version I'd already written of Macbeth so that I could cut out 20 minutes because they wanted it to be shorter and the whole thing could be performed by a cast of three <laughs> instead of four so that was oh, um yeah Again, if we thought the original Fireside Folktales version was challenging, this was borderline insane. Yeah. Um, hey, sometimes it, that's the best way to go. Like you're just flying by the seat of <laughs> your pants and it just seems to work. Yes. And, you know, obviously incredible amounts of credit to um, the other actors, uh, Sarah Robinson and Amy Floyd. Um, and we were lucky enough that Southside House has a resident musician. Yeah. Um Georgie Melling and she um, was interested in getting involved and so luckily for us um, her beautiful music and singing kind of not only enhanced all the storytelling and everything um, but also then covered those moments where you just couldn't get changed from one character to the next fast enough. So essentially she did stage. become the fourth player. She did yeah it no, kind no. of it sort of proved to me that uh, four people is probably the minimum, even if only three of them are acting. Yeah. Otherwise, I think we'd have had to pre-record some music and like just press play. But then that would have that would go slightly against the grain of our one hundred percent all there on the day, nothing pre-recorded, no equipment, sort yeah. of thing. So I don't know, but yes, it well, was it all came good in the end. It did, <laughs> yes, and yeah. um, we got some lovely feedback, which is always nice. Uh, since we'd already shattered the illusion of the pre-recording. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. You're not the first person. You won't be the last. But, but um, So by the time it's aired, you have already started your new venture into the podcasting world. I will, yes. Yes. So once again, sell, baby, sell. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I... Um... I mean, oh, I don't want to bring the tone or the mood down too much, but... Hey, um, hey, I'm 20... with mental health issues. I bring the mood down all the time. 
Oh, I 2021 uh, had has not been a great year for me. Um, we sort of we moved house at the beginning of the year and um, essentially left probably the only real kind of home that I've known. Um, you know, I've been I've been away to other places, but I always came back to to that home. Um, and so it was a big it was a big wrench. Um, and you know the, the kind of the inevitable decluttering the kind of throwing out of the things and the memories they're attached to and you know finding letters from people who've died and and all of that kind of stuff it was a big kind of upheaval and it was all happening obviously um while we were I think tier four which then went into lockdown so like you couldn't have lots of friends around to help you and 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 say goodbye and all of those kind of things. Um, we moved into the new house from where I am talking to you now. Um, it is and lovely. you know, it's just lovely. Thank you. <laughs> it's almost as cluttered as the old one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm settled in and liking it now. But um, you know, that did feel like a big thing and a big loss. But then three and a half months after we moved in earlier this year, um, my mum went into hospital, uh, was supposed to be coming back the next day um, and actually then ended up um, unexpectedly dying. Um, oh we, we kind of got a call on the Wednesday, which was when we were expecting her back. And we were told she'd taken a sudden unexplained downturn and, um, uh, they didn't know what it was, but they were going to investigate. And so, the, and the calls kind of kept coming through the day. And at the time that we were expecting her home, um, we actually got a call saying that she was dying and there was nothing they could do for her and we should come in and see her. And we hadn't been able to go with her when she went into hospital because COVID and things. Um, and then by the time we got there, um, she was unconscious. Um, and, you know, we stayed with her in hospital for the next five days and nights, kind of continually being told she's not going to be with you by morning and things. But my mum, as anyone who's watching this, who actually knew her, uh, will know, was a, a very stubborn individual. She had her own timetable. She had her own opinions. Um, and so, you know, she she hung on in there. Um, but the following Monday, a week after she went into hospital, supposedly for a single night, she died. And that was, you know, that was, it kind of, it put the loss we had all felt leaving the old house into a new kind of, a new sort of light. We had a new perspective on it. Um, and, you know, then from from there on we we had some problems with some dreadful funeral directors and things and uh then just as the work was kind of picking up again and there was sort of something else to get involved with um uh we got covid <laughs> i i got covid first um actually from from an one of the actors in in our kind of our first uh bigger show of the year those pesky um, actors <laughs> oh um it just it was on our last day at, um we were at Morden Hall Park 
and um and we I got a message from one of the actors to say that they tested positive that morning and so we all went into isolation and then two days later I tested positive and two days after that dad did um and so that was you know that was quite uh an, another knockback and also there were a couple of sort of worrying moments in there I had to speak to the NHS and they were considering sending an ambulance for my dad which obviously was a bit terrifying given what had what had gone on before that um and uh and you know since then I can I kind of I, I left my job my part-time job because everything that had happened had kind of um I suppose uh caused me to reevaluate things and try and focus on what was more important what was most important um and and then I also uh was having some slightly strange issues going on I didn't know what it was I had to go to the hospital and see a specialist and it turns out that the COVID has kind of left me with some lung damage and potentially an autoimmune condition um so it's yeah it it's been a, a year um yeah, but yeah it really has I'm, I'm so sorry <laughs> if I had to go through that I, thank you I, I mean it... I kind of sympathize with uh, the mum thing uh on 2020 uh, my great auntie Gina, well, she took a stroke and she went into the hospital. Uh, she caught COVID in the hospital and she never came out. Well, oh and, no! Yeah, and it was it was the same kind of thing. We never got to say goodbye to her or anything like that. I hadn't actually seen her since what the twenty nineteen, and she died. Mm. Well, later on, and yeah, that was a, so. I can I can definitely. Yes, I, can relate, I mean I think I can relate. Well, obviously, it's not my mum so I can't relate in that sense but no but but and going through and going through what COVID yourself and what and having what a very which is now going to be long COVID for you soon because of the long time yes yes because I yeah I I had it at the beginning of August and I think um I think it officially becomes long COVID or something if you're still suffering symptoms 12 weeks on um of any description and and so and yes now uh, everything is being investigated so you know i don't know if these things at the moment are things that will stay or if someone can fix them <laughs> but mm. you know I, I you 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 live the life that you have don't you and and just yeah, make the most of things yes indeed and so yeah it, again not a great year but then just um uh when was it it must have been september i think um this thing popped up in my facebook timeline and i'd been i had been thinking about uh podcasting more from the point of view of a fictional podcast because mm. i'm also i'm working on a new cross-platform storytelling kind of venture yeah. which is called secret storytellers and will oh. also be available one way or another um uh, in 2022, so please, people, Google mm. and well, find Well, it. I would also, uh, for yourself, if you're wanting to do some something like that for similar ideas, I would advise that you contact uh, Floyd Kennedy, who I interviewed, and she has uh, her, her own kind of dramatization podcast called the I'm, Am I Old Yet? the podcast. And it's a similar um, a similar kind of vein where they're do, uh, she's creating like, plays and stories and acting them out through voiceover. She's always looking for, uh, she's always looking for actors. Floyd, take the hint, hire Emma. But, <laughs> but, and well, it could be something, 
Well, I'm I'm networking for you through this as well. I'm trying to bring a little bit of light in 2022. <laughs> well, I'm selling, baby. I'm selling. I'm doing it so well, Andrew. Thank you. I will yes. definitely look up for you. Anyway, watching on YouTube, I had my great dramatic hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, the, the the thing that popped up was about podcasting. It was um, with uh, an American lady I'd never heard of before called Kathy Heller. And I've since come to discover that she's very well known and, you know, particularly in the world mm. of podcasting, but also just more generally. Um, and she was doing a free boot camp on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. about podcasting and I was like well this sounds good so mm. I signed up for it and um, followed through and the whole way through I was it, I realized it was leading to a kind of an actual proper course at the end mm -hmm. and I was thinking oh I'd love to sign up for that but I really can't I, I can't mm. I don't have the time I don't have the money this isn't the right moment um, but then as the boot camp went on and I was um, you know, I was telling people about it and they were saying, well, why aren't you doing the course at the end? <laughs> you know, it would be madness to do that right now. You're, you're also like, give me money to do it and then we'll talk. But yes, um, insane though it might be, by the end, I was just like, actually, do you know what? I really think I have to do this. <laughs> and so mad though it was, I signed up and I'm actually, this is week eight this current week that I'm speaking to you in mm. um so it's been an eight week intensive with like four live sessions a week and wow. um uh homework and workbooks mm. and some bonus sessions and things and then we have six months of kind of continued support um so for those people like me who haven't kind of launched the whole thing during this eight weeks because it's just been <laughs> beyond possible um you know we have those six months to get everything together and and I am um, I sort of quickly realized that although obviously I'm learning lots of stuff that's going to help with the fictional podcast mm -hmm. um you really to make the most of it need a, a non-fiction podcast and so you know when I was I was thinking about it and and I'd written a few Facebook posts and things. I'm not really a big social media user, to be honest, but, you know, must try harder. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> Technology, what a get, eh? <laughs> there you go. But I'd, um, I'd, I'd written a few Facebook posts and also, like, the same ones on Instagram, essentially, um, while everything was happening with mum. And, and then I'd written one more when we got COVID just to let people know and sort of, you know, but but I hadn't really hadn't written anything else because everything else kind of felt a bit trivial and and like come and see my show or you know isn't this annoying or whatever just seemed a bit ridiculous <laughs> coming after the posts I'd written from you know the bedside of my dying mother. It's kind mm. of there's a you know um, but but I had wanted to say some more things. But I also didn't want to be, again, it's COVID. Everyone is suffering their own losses, their own difficulties. People have a significant amount of sadness and stress in their own lives. You don't necessarily need to be putting that into their timeline with more of yours. Mm. Um, but I did kind of think, well, maybe, you know, maybe a podcast where that creates a space to sort of talk about those things um, and what I eventually came up with is uh, it's the podcast is going to be called the price of love mm 
-hmm. and it's from that that quote that grief is the price we pay for love Mm -hmm. um and it's it's essentially meant to deal with grief loss life and the literature that um gets us through it all Mm. because um I sort of again I was thinking back to how you know how sad it made me when we did have to move house and that was a loss um in itself and I think you know so it's not just about you know you don't have to have lost a person to to feel that kind of sorrow um you know and people lose their pets and it massively impacts their lives and things or they leave jobs they loved or they're fired or something all of those things are different kinds of loss and I wanted to kind of create a space I think that will that will be for all those people and um but also will be kind of funny and uplifting as well as as well as giving you a space to explore those kind of things or to you know for people who are trying to support someone who's been through that sort of thing to to give them a a bit of advice a bit of support themselves um and then i'm sort of hoping a lot of the a lot of the episodes will be interviews um i don't really think people need to hear me talking by myself for very long um and then i know you may be a bit self-conscious because of what you said about the damage to your lungs but you have an incredible speaking voice you're really articulate oh. you're so eloquent what and you're just a lovely person to talk to you really are oh what? thank you I, I, I really do i wish you nothing but the best of luck for your podcast ventures that and like your theater company like you're you're such a strong and resilient woman emma and i just want you to to know that and you're going to do so well and please oh. keep myself and hopefully by the time you come back my 10 followers what <laughs> updated well, on, on how you're going what, and you could possibly be guiding some of my 10 followers over to your podcast well it's in the same kind of genre it's artistic it's mental mm. health but well i am rival to no one i will encourage everybody to check out anything that helps spread the cause so I will that actually... is one of the lovely things i've kind of found just in my very brief time in the podcasting community is that it seems like everyone is so so keen to help each other and it's it seems such a warm and friendly community where like you said there isn't any rivalry even with people who are doing exactly the same kind of subject mm-hmm. um there still seems to be such a kind of such a desire to help each other and to cheer each other on and things and i i'm absolutely loving that that mm-hmm. aspect of things so right. far well i will start your preparation for your podcast journey by <laughs> asking you the final question that i ask all of my guests if you could give one piece of advice to anyone that's struggling with mental health issues at this precise moment in time what would that piece of advice be and why um so i think i'd say and i speaking from experience and from doing both the wrong thing and the right thing (laughs) i i would say um talk to somebody um and it is important that it's the right person. I would also say if you talk to someone who doesn't turn out to be the right person, don't don't let that be the reason you don't talk to anyone else. Um, the wrong response can really set you back, especially if it comes from someone you weren't expecting it from. Um, but 
but if you but talking to the right person whether that's your best friend or um or you know a, a stranger you've suddenly clicked with and and you know sometimes it is actually easier to talk to strangers than it is to talk to friends mm-hmm. definitely also consider talking to a professional um i you know obviously you're part of the uh the whole effort to reduce stigma around any of that sort of thing but you know these things move slowly and I know there is still Mm. some um and obviously for some people there's also a cost barrier to consider but you know you can get a certain amount of counselling on the NHS and things so I would definitely say um talk to someone don't be afraid to get professional help if you need it um and and also just kind of really accept that it's it's not your job to do anything other than heal recover survive whatever it is wherever you are in in your stage until you're ready for something else and honestly every every day that you can do those things is a triumph and you should congratulate yourself for that definitely and since she was too humble to say i will say it if you also are struggling listen to emma's podcast (laughs) So we now come to Emma's new home's favourite segment, Ask Andrew Anything. (laughs) This is where me, after grilling my guest for 48 minutes and 48 seconds, this is where we get to turn the tables and the guest gets to ask me a question. It could be something as ridiculous as what is your favourite colour of baby chair to who would win the fight between Anakin Skywalker and the Sandman. So, Emma, do you have a question for this? mental ginger i do indeed i mean now i'm feeling sad because there are so many good questions i could have asked you as evidenced <laughs> by your examples but um, my question you is are young you will learn <laughs> yeah i'll have to but um my question is if you andrew were prime minister for the day Ooh. and any changes you made to the law uh were enacted like immediately, and they would stay that way after you left office 24 hours later. What what changes would you make? What would you do with your power and why? Oh, this, this is good. This, that's good. <laughs> I'll give the safe answer and the sadistic answer. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> right, because we, we all have a good side, we all have a bad side, and I do admit that I, I do have a little bit of a sadistic tendency in me. Uh, so my safe answer, I would make um, every mental health service free of charge because mm. that is one of the major barriers is the cost of getting like, the proper counselling. When, mm. I, when I took not well, I had to pay for private counselling and it was so much better and so much more impactful and helpful for the triggers and the stressors that I have than I ever learned what trying to go through the NHS. What well, as much mm. as uh, the NHS have done a fabulous job in really, really difficult circumstances, there's only so much they can do. So mm. I would make sure that any mental health like service like you could access it for free, what and give what the people that run those services a well deserved paradise. Yeah. And now for the statistic part. Yes. <laughs> I, I would abolish all forms of currency in the UK. Ooh, was not expecting that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I um, I really believe that money is the root to every problem in life. Well, mm. uh, COVID really, really drove home that point. Well, uh, I only had three weeks of lockdown and then I got told, yeah, go back to work because you got to keep the country running because I work in a uh, private sector, not worried to say mm. who. Well, but uh, it was basically get back out, keep the economy going, and if you die, you die, which was like the long and, long and short of it. And that mm-hmm. was that was a lot of people had to do that, well, especially like um, people like the NHS and well, you see posts all the time that NHS staff make X amount an hour, but politicians make what well, X amount more, and all they do is, well, quite frankly, fuck and all. Well, and well, and it really, it's something that really annoys me. Well, and the more I thought about it, well, you have to pay to have a roof over your head. You shouldn't have to have that. Well, well that's a, you have a right to shelter. You have to pay for food. Mm. You have a what well, you need food to live. You need water to live. Well, and sometimes you've got to pay for that as well. Bald. Well, you've got to pay for like heat and all the things that are necessary to keep a human being alive and just mm. get through this mire and shit show of life. Sometimes it can be it's it's awful. We go to jobs that we don't want to go to. Well, so we can try and support the passions that we want to pursue. Why can't we just what do the things we want to do? And if we didn't need to worry about money, what that would be what one massive checkbox. I was really, really hoping that what with the things that happened with COVID, that maybe something like that would change. Mm. But we're actually more reliant on money now than than we ever have been. What uh, petrol prices mm. going through the roof? Uh, um, then they're all saying go to electric cars. Electric cars are through the roof. It's actually cheaper to run petrol. Which is mm-hmm. ridiculous. What if you're trying to save the planet? What and it's just it really, really, it really irks me that we rely on a bit of paper to get us through life. Because that's mm-hmm. all, that's all it is. It's just a, it's just a piece of paper that someone decided that uh, they had value, and you're determined for your worth and your time on this earth by this piece of paper. It makes no sense to me. It is ridiculous. It is flawed it's corrupt it is it is literally what the devil in your hand we've all got to rely on it and yeah it's well i'll probably get people like trying to tune in and just go and andrew's a communist shoot him but, <laughs> okay. but no, uh, as i actually discovered uh, in the previous episode i'm more of a socialist i believe that everybody should what well, just work to better themselves and work to better humanity. What well, money shouldn't exist. It's a very, I'm a massive Star Trek fan, and Star Trek didn't uh, have currency. Well, in their economics of the future, because that's what they did. They worked to improve themselves, and I always took that on board because I was like, I would be, I would, I wouldn't have had any of the mental health problems that I had, or at least not as much, if, mm. it, if it wasn't revolving around money. Well, because I would have went down like the acting routes and the things that I wanted to do, instead of feeling like I have to do the nine to five jobs which i know i'm not suited for what to provide for my wife and provide for my family what and mm. it get, gets to the stage that when my kids are older i will actively encourage them not to seek employment well if they want to stay and live with us what until a few months after i'm dead that's fine as long as they're doing something they want to do and they're happy doing it money doesn't matter mm. to me i'll take the hit so that they can live the life that they want to live mm. so, so yeah so just knocking what that out the park and just going we don't need money anymore 
what? Because it's just redundant. It's a waste. It's because everybody said like, oh, the economy's crumbling. The economy's collapsing. We created the economy. It's man-made. Anything man-made can be broken. We can rip it up and start again. Someone's just got to light the touch paper. Yes. It's it's nothing if not a ginormous job, though. <laughs> well, like you said, I could come in, I could raise hell, walk back out, and then it's somebody else's problem to sort the rest of it. <laughs> so, so I have the idea. I have I have the crazy brain. I just yeah. need people to do the right things with mm. it. But yeah, that would be my sadistic side because it would also be quite funny watching all these bigwigs just scramble <laughs> and just be like, our self-worth was defined by this money. What do we do now? Not my problem. I mean, Bye. you never know how many of them <laughs> might end up being actors or farmers or... Politicians sort of... are actors. Like they, just don't, they just don't get the degree. <laughs> but they, <laughs> but they might be just that. as liberated. You never know. Yeah. Well, we never, we never know. If, if any politicians are listening to my, uh, my speech, like, first of all, please don't have me assassinated, like, because it was a, it was a hypothetical scenario. But if you ever want to come on and discuss it, I'm game. Let's do this. But anyway, Emma, you have been an absolute delight. Like, you've been oh, so you. lovely. Like, I've just loved listening to you talk and hearing your like your philosophies about life and hearing about your new ventures i wish you nothing but success and anybody that's listening to the audio please check out the youtube because she's just as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside <laughs> what what to, to the point what, where most people know how much i love my wife and how much i think that she is the most beautiful person in the world what and nothing would ever top it but emma is hauntingly beautiful <laughs> but so so please so even for that if it gets me more views, come on, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> always selling, Andrew, always selling. <laughs> yeah, I really missed my calling, didn't I? <laughs> I? I think you did, but, you know, it's never too late. No, Oh, no, I've got friends that are salesmen, and I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Oh. But, but, <laughs> well, until next time, my six faithful followers, I have been Andrew Durning. This has been the talented and amazing Emma King Farwell. Please check out her brand new podcast because this will be out in January and it'll be on by then. But please yes, check true. Hopefully, yes, please check <laughs> it out. Give her, give her all the love and support that you've given me. What well, uh, anybody that lives in Emma's area, go and support her independent theatre company. We need more of that. We need more people with Emma's creative mindset in the world. So until next time, take care, stay safe. Bye-bye.